Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. again everyone and welcome back to the front line with joe and joe joe Facillo, as always joined by joe resinello and once more dear brothers and sisters let us go into the breach on the veritas catholic radio network 1350 on your am dial 103.9 on your fm dial spreading the truth of the catholic faith to the new york city metropolitan area usually i know i go into a few things about downloading the app and our social media i'll get into that later because we have a very special guest today uh where joe and i are very pleased and honored to be joined today by father robert spitzer sj um and father has a new book out the moral wisdom of the catholic church a defense of her controversial moral teachings they ought not be controversial but in the modern world i suppose they are so we're grateful to father spitzer for having written the book which is available at ignatius press we always uh tell our audience uh to make sure that you support our catholic publishers in this case ignatius press buy the book from the publisher now all of you out there i'm sure are familiar with father father spitzer having said that quick bio uh father robert spitzer sj is the president of the magis center uh, of Reason and Faith at the Spitzer Center. He was the president of Gonzaga University from 1998 to 2009. He is the author of a ton of books, including Healing the Culture, Finding True Happiness, Five Pillars of the Spiritual Life, The Light Shines On in the Darkness, The Soul's Upward Yearning, and God So Loved the World. Father Robert Spitzer, welcome to the front line with Joe and Joe. It's great to be back with you again. Thank you, Father. Uh, with that, I'm going to hand it over to Joe Resinello, and we'll have a great conversation. Father, great. before we begin, would you give us a, a, a prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for all the blessings you give us, especially the blessing of these rules that sometimes seem to be... Um, you know, get in our way of our freedom, but in fact, are your little gems of light that keep us protected from the darkness and keep us protected, especially from evil. We ask you, Lord, that we might see the wisdom of your ways, the wisdom of the love that your son brought to the world, the wisdom of these rules and how they protect us so that we might truly lead others into the truth, the truth that will truly set us free. We ask all of these things, dear Lord, through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Mary, seed of wisdom, pray for, pray for us. us. Son Joe Resinello. Amen. Joe Resinello, if you don't mind, um, I want to just pick up on something Father said in his prayer, and then I know that you want to get into the, the truth will set you free. Father, talk well, about real quick, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, and again, this is, I feel like this is a prompting of the Holy Spirit to ask you this first, even though I didn't plan on it. Talk about the necessity of rules. Now, the reason why I say that is this. Father Robert Barron uses the analogy of baseball. Okay, he's very good with baseball. All right. Yeah. And I, I think it's a beautiful analogy where if yeah. you have a bunch of stud baseball players on, on, you know, in a patch of grass throwing with some bats and balls and gloves and yeah. really just, and, you, and you're watching that, you'd say, well, that's fairly chaotic and it's kind of boring. Yeah. 
But as yeah. soon as you lay down some rules, a baseline, a pitcher's mound, a home plate, an outfield yeah. fence, and you say you could do this and you could do that, now something of beauty is created. Talk about the necessity of rules, Father Spitzer, to lay some groundwork for this conversation. Right. Uh, in fact, uh, sometimes in the culture, we think that just rules are restrictions and they limit our freedom. But in point of fact, rules enhance our freedom. And what they do is they enable us to uh, to really um, put together, um, you know, a life uh, and, and structure it around, uh, you know, something that will um, really be um, worth living, a kind of life of love, a, a life that follows the Lord, a life that follows our conscience. But more uh, than anything else, it's a life uh, which builds up the world and builds up the people around us and builds them toward God. We find without those rules, without those seeming limits, um, uh, we're like uh, um, bowling balls that are just kind of going down without any corridors or anything else, uh, just haphazardly going down um, an alleyway. And it does not necessarily lead to a good life. And in fact, uh, as we'll see uh, as I get into this book, these rules are protecting us from the evil spirit, protecting us from real darkness. And that darkness manifests itself not only in a decline in our spiritual lives relationship with God, but also a decline in our emotional health, a decline in, so also in our relational and marital health so it's all four of these areas that these rules are actually enhancing even though they seem like a limit to our freedom and seem like a limit to what we can do they are limiting us in some ways but at the same time those limits enable us to really have strong spiritual lives strong a marital, relational, and emotional lives, uh, ones that, that really will be productive, lead others uh, to heaven, including ourselves, and of course, build up a world and build up a church and a community of God that is really worthy of us and worthy of the kind of love and life that Jesus revealed to us. So these rules are pure liberation, as St. Augustine would say. They are not restrictions, and we've got to get, you know, our bearings back once again, so we can see that they are light, not darkness. They protect us from the darkness. So the culture has turned everything upside down. Black is white and white is black. Truly, darkness is light and light is darkness. But if we look at those rules straight on, we'll see that they enhance the kind of love that Jesus came to, to, to reveal to us the love that's worthy of us, the love that builds up the culture, the love that builds up people, the love that builds up the kingdom of God, and at the end of the day, the love that leads all of us to eternity, rather than uh, something which tears it down, puts ourselves right into the power of the evil spirit, and that's not just going to affect our spiritual lives, but it's going to affect our emotional lives. We're going to see increases in depression, anxiety, suicides, etc., all because we didn't follow the rules or mistakenly thought that the rules were arbitrary restrictions rather than a force of liberation, a, a, a limit to our conduct, which enables us to do what we were meant to do and therefore to uh, find ourselves um, in the eternal life that God intended us for. And I'm sure that, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Thank you for that, Father Spitzer. Sure. Joe Rossinello. 
Father, I always think of what Mother Teresa used to say about what Jesus taught. She used to say, I take him at his word. Why do I bring that up? You mentioned the truth will set you free. Well, do we believe that? Because if we did, we would take Jesus at his word. And why am I going in this direction? We separate Jesus from the church. Cannot be done. It mm-hmm. cannot be done. If we believe that Jesus rose from the dead, which we do, most people in the world do, then we have to believe everything the church teaches because it's an extension of Jesus. Jesus is the head. The church is the body. Talk about that because I think there is a separation or an attempt to separate that. And even those, even myself, let's be honest. I'll be honest. Do I take Jesus at his word? And if I did, my life would look radically different. Yeah, no, Joe, you're right on. I mean, uh, I mean, today, uh, you know, we we think that we can pick or choose uh, among Jesus's words. If you really believe that Jesus is risen in glory, if you really believe that the disciples for you know of Jesus for hundreds of years after that resurrection were performing one miracle after the next in the communities that they were in, which led to this exponential growth of the Christian community amidst persecution. I mean, only explicable, you know, if, if the, the, these, these apostles were doing miracles in the name of Jesus. And if you really believe that, um, you know, if God's going to work miracles in the name of Jesus, then the apostolic preaching, every bit of the apostolic preaching is true, and if you really believe that every bit of the apostolic preaching is true, then you're also going to believe that Jesus started the church, that he said to Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld will never prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you declare, bound on earth shall be bound in heaven whatsoever you declare loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven that is literally instituting not just peter but all of peter's successors right he's creating an office the keys to the kingdom that's not just to one person the keys to the kingdom are in office and he's giving peter those keys that office but then of course his successors will inherit that office and so if you really believe that they are a supreme juridical and and teaching authority supreme teaching and juridical authority as we have in the church for two thousand years and if you really believe that jesus instituted the church and that the gates of the netherworld, i.e. hell, will never prevail against it, then I can assure you, you have to believe, as you said, Joe, every single solitary uh, truth that's not just manifest in the scriptures, but also manifest through the doctrinal, supreme, juridical, and teaching authority that Jesus established in that office, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, which he first gave to Peter and then through him to his successors. Father Robert Spitz is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Please go out and buy his book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, A Defense of Her Controversial Moral Teachings. Father Spitzer, 
Let me let me just go in a, a direction for a second okay. to, to follow up on what you said. I got some heat recently online because Joe and I on our show, on our social media show, on this show, on Veritas Catholic Radio Network, uh -huh. obviously we defend marriage, okay? Joe and yeah. I try to go out of our way to take very seriously what Paul said about judge not lest ye be judged. However, mm -hmm. we do have to speak the truth, and I got a lot of heat. Because I don't really, I really want you to clear this up. Because you were talking about, let's say, you use words like juridical. You, you, we use words like yeah. like rules. Okay, I don't need to hear from people that Jesus sat with sinners because I know Jesus sat with sinners. Yes, but the story, did. Father, always seems to stop there. Well, Jesus had yeah. Jesus ate and drank with the sinners. I get it. I know. I'm actually moved in my soul by that. Because, but, but they never continue the story. To what end? To yeah. have them remain in their sins? Or yeah. to convert them from their sins and liberate them from their sins. That yeah, nobody ever wants to follow through to the to the logical conclusion of why Jesus sat with the sinners to begin with, to show them the love, to show them himself. He is the truth. Mm -hmm. Okay. But to show mm -hmm. them the love of God. Okay. To, to, right. to preach to them in order to convert them as he does with all of us. And we get heat when we speak up and we say, there is a truth to these things. And where I'm going with this, Father, is that yeah. you demonstrate in your book that going against foundational Christian doctrines from marriage to abortion, sanctity yeah. of life, it just leads to a bad end, and bad end that's demonstrable, like depression, anxiety, suicide. Jesus mm -hmm. sat with these people to save them from this. Yeah. I want you no, to talk I about that, Father, and talk about the consequences of, of not listening to Jesus. Yeah, no, I, I would, you know, this is, uh, um, you know, uh, something that just, uh, I decided that I was reading secular surveys, and the reason was is I wanted to make sure that everything I said about, let's say, homosexual lifestyle or transgenderism or, um, uh, you know, abortion or whatever it may be, I wanted to make sure that the studies I was using um, could not be accused of religious bias. So I was trying to get like the archives of general psychiatry, general university studies of one kind or another. Always trying, also trying to get hold of Gallup or um, Pew surveys, you know, recognized secular uh, institutes of, uh, of opinion polling and so forth. So uh, I took these secular authorities and I just said, well, what happens for example, if you um, move toward, <clears throat> you know, a, a homosexual lifestyle and you get into that homosexual lifestyle, now you're locked in. What can you expect to find? Well, you can expect to find a three times increase in depression, <clears throat> a three times increase in anxiety. You can expect um, a 3.5 times increase in substance abuse. You can expect a five times increase in panic attacks. You can expect a five to seven times increase in suicidal contemplation. Up to 40% of that population contemplates suicide seriously. Now, if you start looking at these statistics, something has got to, you know, leap off the page. They're from, the, by the way, the archives of general psychiatry and the suicide statistic 
um, and and uh, uh, four of the major statistics I just gave are from the Netherlands, which, uh, you know, you, you don't want to just say, oh, this this is the, the, the difficulty of, uh, you know, all of these emotional uh, health difficulties are due to stigmatization. No doubt stigmatization has um, some play in this. But in the Netherlands, that's a very friendly, accepting culture. So, I mean, there's no difference between the U.S. and the Netherlands. And that I, I have to just tell you that stands off the page, you know, to me is the stigmatization is not the problem. The problem is in the lifestyle. Now, uh, all I'm doing is telling people these are the stats. These are from the archives of general psychiatry. These are from uh, statistical studies of, you know, primary research medical institutions, and they compare U.S. and Netherlands statistics. No real difference. My thought is, you know, what does it say? <laughs> this, if you want to get into that lifestyle, just get ready. Because the darkness is going to come right following upon you. And the darkness is not just going to be spiritual health. It's going to be emotional health. And just to look at, you know, is there spiritual darkness? Yes, there is. The Pew survey, I think it was 2014, anyway, it's cited in the book, um, it, you know, went out and actually did you know, uh, uh, a comparative survey between general population and um, those in uh, homosexual lifestyle, they found that um, essentially the um, belief in God was one half. So in other words, the atheism rate was doubled that if you're in um, to homosexual lifestyle, the prayer rate, Bible study rate, and religious partici uh, participation in religious ceremonies rate was basically cut in half um, in, in those uh, populations. Something is amiss. You just can't have sweeping uh, kinds of statistical variations of that kind in the in the general uh, in the uh, uh, restricted population by comparison with the general population, unless something is amiss, something is unfriendly to spiritual life uh, in in that lifestyle, something is unfriendly to emotional life in that lifestyle, something is getting you know people to you know five times to seven times increase in suicidal contemplation. I mean we can see this. Also with pornography reading, the so-called, you know, um, victimless sin. Um, yes, it seems like pornography should have no harm. But, you know, those studies I give in the book show that basically the more you read pornography, the more depressed you become. And this huge University of Oklahoma study shows that the more you read pornography and the longer you read it, so, you know, one year, two years, three years, the more you get into it, the more your religious practice and all four of those levels, you know, a reading of scripture, um, a prayer, um, um, uh, you know, just basic belief in God versus atheism and pr participation in religious uh, services, all those things just go sinking down. And if you are into the pornography for several years, it's going to go to zero in your spiritual life. I mean, there's something, I mean, it's so clear. I mean, it's just, you know, leaping off the page. And, and then, I mean, let's take just transgenderism for a second. You know, I mean, true friends, you know, if you're really a good friend of somebody, you just don't let them go into the darkness. You don't encourage them in order to be nice just to go into the darkness. If you're a really good friend, 
you want your friend to know, you know, if you play out in that street and you're only four years old and you're not looking very well, you might get hit by a car. You don't want to say, in order to be nice, I don't want to tell you, you could get hit by a car because you could. And, and here's the thing. So let's just take the transgender um, uh, assumption. By the way, you know, England has cut down all of this, um, you know, so-called gender affirming therapy where you start loading kids with, you know, sort of anti-hormones, um, you know, and prepubescently, right? And so you, you, you load them with these things, then you get them all ready. And then when they hit 16 or 15, uh, you get them into the sexual reassignment surgery. And then you start to notice that five years down the line, the depression and anxiety rates, they not only recur from before the transgender. So you're going to get some relief. You get the transgender surgery. You're going to get some relief. And that's going to last two, three, four, five years. Now, all of a sudden, about that fifth year, you begin to see a resurgence in the depression and anxiety rates. And then an escalation in the um, uh, uh, those rates because now they look on themselves and say, hey, the sexual reassignment surgery did not alleviate my anxieties. My anxieties have recurred and they're escalating. And now I've done a permanent change. I can't detransition. Oh, yikes. Now you get buyer's remorse in addition to everything else. So by the time you get to 10 years after the sexual reassignment surgery. And by the way, this is not just U.S. studies. This is a big, huge study done in Sweden over multiple years, very friendly um, to transgenderism. You can see uh, 20 times, two zero times, not a 20%, a 20 times increase in suicides. The general population, about 1.6%, about goes up to about 33%. In, in this group, um, you know, um, one third of the population is, is committing suicide. And so you start saying, hmm, wait a minute here. Something's not right. Well, Father well, Spitzer, least, Father, yeah. real quick, but that's one of the things and one of the themes on, the, on our show all the time is what you were, what you were talking about. You, you, you lie to somebody, that's not an act of love. Yeah. Telling the truth to somebody, no matter how much it hurts, that is an yeah. act of love. To say to somebody what you just said, and to say, I don't want this for you. This yeah. is a really bad road to go down. It's not because I'm just making it up, and I'm glad you pointed out, Father Spitzer, this is worldwide, and in very, let's call it, rainbow flag-friendly countries, okay? Mm -hmm. um, this is, just, you know, this is not coming, you know, that like, like where evil Catholics are just, uh, you know, like you're pointing the finger at people and being judgmental, and then they're, then they're becoming suicidal. These are in countries where this is very accepted, but... Yeah. The studies show this is very, very destructive. Real quick, Father Robert Spitzer, if you're just joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, we're talking about the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church. We're way in the breach. This is a book that is a defense of her controversial moral teachings. We have a few minutes before the break. Joe Resinello. Father, I just want to package uh, some of the things you said. You basically are saying, and please correct me if I'm wrong, <clears throat> the laws of God apply to you whether you acknowledge God or not. It's like gravity. Correct. Gravity, you could say, I don't believe in gravity. Jump yeah. off a three-story building. There's yeah. a consequence to that. Why yeah. do they apply to you? Because God made us all, and God loves us all. And the consequences of bad choices are supposed to 
basically bring us back into the fold. But sadly, too many people in our culture double down and triple down. They rinse and redo it again. How do we, outside of the consequences, because everything you said is straight up and down the truth, and I've learned it the hard way, Father, and I believe in everything the church teaches. How do we get them to not only acknowledge the consequences, but get into the fold? Well, I think there's three steps in the process. I mean, um, if people are going to get into a super dangerous lifestyle, you know, where there could be consequences, the first thing I would do is I probably um, try to say, look, these are very good studies, secular studies. They're not religiously um, uh, done studies. So you can't, you know, there's no religious bias here. These are just, you know, universities or archives of general psychiatry, whatever. So the first thing is to say, you should look at these statistics and don't treat them like a statistic. Think of yourself as part of that population as you enter into it. And now just ask yourself the question, do I really want to go there? I know right now when I'm feeling the exhilaration, the pull of, you know, coming out or the exhilaration of going into a lifestyle that seems uh, so free and so forth and so on. It seems like this couldn't possibly happen, you know, but it it will. I mean, it's like, you know, you know, heroin, you know, I remember when I was in the sixth grade, we watch all these movies about drugs and they say, oh no, these drugs are very attractive. And you know, they, they look so good at first and they're, they get you high, but here are the consequences. And I remember just looking at those films and thinking to myself, I got to stay away from those things. I think my school was friendly to me. They basically were telling me, don't do this. It's bad for you. Now, I think we should be doing something similar, not maybe scary movies, but maybe uh, we can give them statistics and just say it's for real. You should really think about this. You might just even have some provocative questions like, why did Great Britain put a halt to gender affirming therapy after 10 years of having their foot on the accelerator? Why did they put a hold on it and just say, wait a minute, we're not doing any of this stuff. We're not encouraging any of this stuff because they say of the negative consequences. You know, why? Why would they do that if this is as good as the U.S. is making it out and the U.S. medical establishment is making this out. So the first thing is maybe some studies and some provocative questions. They might just say, oh, that's just hoopla. I mean, the, the second thing that I would say um, is this, is if, if, um, if you get into a, a difficulty in the future, if you're just going to ignore all these studies, but you find that you're going to be a vital part of those statistics about one to two years from now, I'm begging you, go back to church. So I would put in the, um, you know, the church right there. Um, if they're Catholics, let's say, or whatever, if maybe if they had a church, maybe they don't, you know, weren't brought up with anything. I would just say something like turn to God. What I have found very effective, though, is when people are in trouble, confession in, um, you know, in the uh, Catholic Church is the way to go. I mean, it's the way out of darkness. It's the way to protect yourself from evil. It's the, you know, they're going to find, you know, they're, as you get into these lifestyles, 
there's going to be a profound sense of emptiness and alienation, loneliness, malaise. It's going to start happening. I mean, hey, Father, it's utterly predictable. Father oh, Spitzer, we're, we're going to go to a break, okay? okay. But I want to be clear. And I'm an open book on the front line with Joe and Joe. I, everybody out there who's listened to our show when we get mm -hmm. on these topics, I want to be very clear. I lived for 20 years of my life uh, having bought into the sexual liberation lie, okay, yeah. in a heterosexual way. But having said yeah. that, I want to be clear when we talk about, let's say, same sex, all the choices that don't yep. have God as their focus in the area of sexuality, yeah. okay? I can't, yeah. I can't even begin, and I won't even start to tell you what the consequences were of my life. Yeah. Just going out and, and let's say, for lack of a better phrase, Father Spitzer, um, living the hookup culture, okay? Yeah, right. Destructive, mm -hmm. not just to my soul, yeah. okay? And I'm glad you yeah. mentioned confession, but also to, uh, to my health psychologically, physically, okay? Oh, yeah. It's nasty, it's it. The yeah. group I want to be in is what you described. I want to be a happily married, committed uh, man, husband, father, stay close to the sacraments. That's the happiest human being on earth. Father, we have to take a break. You're at okay. the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Rosinello. We're way in the breach with Father Robert Spitzer, and we're discussing his new book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, a defense of her controversial moral teachings, which you could purchase at Ignatius Press. I'm sure you could buy it in other places, but buy it at Ignatius Press, and this way we can support our Catholic publishers. Um, so, yes, we're going to take a quick break, and we, when we come back, we're going to have more of this fantastic conversation with Father Spitzer. Stick around. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. we are way in the breach. We are discussing the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church, a defense of her controversial moral teachings. Teachings. That is the book. The author is Father Robert Spitzer, S.J., who's joining us here, and the book is available at Ignatius Press. Joe Resinello. Father, you were talking about three points. You were on the second, basically mm -hmm. say, turn to God. Uh, please pick up on that idea. Right. Um, so, you know, what happens normally is when you get into one of those lifestyles that the culture is basically encouraging you to get into. And by the way, that could be, um, as uh, uh, the other Joe just said, um, is uh, it could be a heterosexual for sure. It could just be the hookup culture, uh, multiple, um, you know, premarital partners, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or even worse, you know, um, you know, uh, adultery and marriage, etc. Um, all of these things will produce the same um, emotional effects. And the precursors before the long-lasting depression, anxiety, and, and uh, panic attacks, etc., the precursor is this a pervasive feeling of emptiness, alienation, loneliness, and dread. Now, the dread is the precursor to a sense of kind of evil, right? So um, what I mean by evil is you, you get this sense of just a void um, where there's just sort of nothing there, but in the void, you sense something of hatred, something that hates you, something that is threatening, something that has no care, no love, 
in its vapid eyes, as it were. Now, these, these are kind of precursor signs. They're emotional signs, but easy to ignore because they come and they go. Let's just say they feel like free-floating anxieties. And uh, for a while there, you think, wow, that's really weird. I just had this feeling like, you know, I was looking at myself in the mirror and no substance was staring back at me. You know, I was a complete empty nothing. Or, you know, you uh, you were just uh, sitting, uh, you know, um, out, you know, amidst a bunch of friends and, and family members. And in the midst of all this love and friendship and mirth, um, you feel horribly like lonely terribly alone that somehow there no one's connecting with you there's something missing in your life or you feel you're out for a walk and you just feel like everything out there is empty it's it's a void you know there's there's you know it's almost like uncaring it's night um it's dark as black and and you're just out for a walk and you just say i'm out of kilter with everything i'm not at home in anything i I, i'm basically out of kilter with the whole totality now these things you you know they come and they go but they're like little augustinian warning signs like that brilliant saint augustine who notices these things and says what in the world is that all about and of course you know eventually we all know as committed christians catholics we know it's the absence of god i need god in my life i need him to be present to my consciousness when god's not there the light's not there and i'm in the darkness all by myself when god's not there you know my best totalistic keep me in in you know at home in the whole cosmos person is not there my parents can't do that for me my friends can't do that for me my wife can't do that for me only god can do that for me my my god is not there and so of course when you start thinking for a second you know about these emotions which we have all felt and only you know somebody who tells me i've never felt anything like that in my life i go uh-huh i believe you you know i mean the point is pretty clear uh not no way in, in heck people even committed christians have felt these things so the, but <laughs> uncommitted religious people i'm telling you they feel them much more often which is why the american psychiatric association can show you that if you are not religiously affiliated by comparison to religiously affiliated people, you're going to feel a significant increase in depression, anxiety, substance abuse, panic attacks, etc., including suicidal contemplation and suicides. Father Robert Spitzer, let me uh, let yeah. me let me jump in for a second because you, you, everything yeah. you're saying just. I know, Joe, I could speak for Joe. There's a million questions running through our head. Um, If you're just joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, we're having a conversation, a great conversation with Father Robert Spitzer discussing his recent book, The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. Father, let me uh, tell you, I forgot the gentleman's name. He was a a music producer. This was within Uh the last few years. Uh Um, Lived a, let's just call it the sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. Uh Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and then at the end, just, and not, a, not as an old man blew his brains out. Yeah. And I hate to say it so frankly like that, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. Uh, he took a shotgun and he blew his brains out the yeah. modern world. And this is where I'm going with this. The modern world 
I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong, Father, because you, you, you have your finger on the pulse of this much more than I do. The modern world would say he lived the way he wanted to, he died the way he wanted to, and would actually probably celebrate that, or at least many in the world, okay? Am I wrong in that, Father? Oh, I think the world would probably misconstrue it um, in the very fashion that you said. But in point of fact, that's not the way anyone would want to die, blowing their brains out. I mean, that is an act of abject despair. And no one, no one, you know, uh, except, of course, maybe a sociopath uh, who may be in despair from the beginning. No one would ever want to die in despair. It basically is a, a, a resignation to the failure of your being, not just the failure of your life, the failure of your being. And no one, no one willingly does that. No one starts off in life going, hmm, what do I want to pursue with my life? Oh, despair. I want to have a complete uh, failure at the end of my life of both my life and my being. And I want to show it by blowing my brains all over the wall. No one ever starts off that way. So the idea that he died the way he wanted, a noble but false gesture. And of course, this is a nice way of putting you know, the old icing on the proverbial cake of despair, you know, I'm putting the lipstick on the pig. I mean, there's just a, no way in the world, um, uh, you know, you can justify this. So I, I think, um, unfortunately, the world has, of course, um, uh, got a euphemism for everything. And uh, they have a a way of, you know, uh, uh, you know, putting icing on everything, you know, the, uh, but uh, in point of fact, we are turning into not just a culture of narcissism, as Christopher Lash, the former atheist, uh, and, and, you know, Marxist used to say, um, but uh, we're turning into the, uh, the culture of despair. And I mean, just look at the suicide rates of young people. I mean, uh, I, I mean, we can expect every decade, another 60% increase in depression, another 60% increase in, in, uh, anxiety, uh, another 52% increase in suicides, another 22% increase in homicides. How long will this continue before we get to just catastrophic standards? And what, that, you know, three generations of young people down from us? There's only one way out, and that's God. There's only one way out. And that's religion and religion. Father, that, that's 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 one of the main reasons why we were so excited about having you on the show and talking about your book is because if we and I'm going to hand this over to Joe Racinello when you when you watch the culture they they they're, they love caricaturing the Catholic yeah. Church as being a bunch of just crusty old white men wagging their yeah. finger at everybody, telling yeah. them not to do this, not to do this, not to do this, and the beauty of what you're doing, even though you're talking about some issues that unfortunately are very sad. These statistics yeah. are sad, yeah. but the idea of, of what you're doing is to say this is not this is not an act of just you know hitting you over the hand with the ruler when you're five years old. This is saving yeah. these teachings that that you say in your title of your book, Father. Controversial teachings of the church. These teachings are not only helping you to live a good life in this world, but yeah. will also put you on the road. To heaven, and that's why we're so grateful that Robert Spitzer is joining. Father Robert Spitzer is joining us here to discuss his book, Joe Resinello. Father, many of the uh, topics that you discussed, as well as discussed in the book, uh -huh. result in a twisted understanding of love. Love yeah. wills what is good, the best for someone, and that's heaven. Sexuality 
also should be open to life, but all mm -hmm. those things have something in common sacrifice. I think a lot of the truths that you just said, many people, even at the furthest end of disagreement with us, would come to a conclusion, even if it's at three o'clock in the morning and say, you know, Father Robert's right, but I'm not willing to sacrifice to those ends, to love. They say love is love. Really? Tell me that when I wake up at two o'clock in the morning when my daughter threw up and I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. Love isn't love at that point. Love is sacrifice, and Christ showed us that on the cross. I think our society is unwilling to love in that regard, and they take these mm -hmm. substitutes, and frankly, then they rationalize and lie to themselves. How do we mm -hmm. arrive at that other than good example? But that is what love is, and it's a twisted version of it, and that's what we're seeing in our society today. Yeah, I think, um, Joe, that you, we have to get um, beyond the notion that love is a feeling. And so, you know, as you say, when you're dealing with your daughter who's just, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, had an upset stomach and has regurgitated in the morning, that's just a big old mess. But you, because you not feel the love at that moment, right? I mean, uh, you don't feel the love when you're, uh, you know, trying to help your uh, grandmother who's yelling at you and you're trying to help her, um, you know, get out of bed because she's so sick, et cetera, et cetera. And there's no gratitude there. All there is is, you know, sickness or crotchetiness or, you know, people getting anxious and mad and so forth and so on. You say to yourself, well, you know, um, what's the point of all of this? They need you. And of course, we do these things in service because that's what Christ taught us to do. Because deep down, we know that this is the kindness that St. Paul was talking about. Deep down, we know that this is the right thing to do is to serve those kids of ours, uh, you know, and lead them to heaven, lead them to happiness. And by, by service, I mean, sometimes we have to tell them about rules that they may not want to hear about because other kids get to do other things and why shouldn't we get to do other things and then we have to explain right parents are supposed to be wise that you know if you do these things you know you're going to find yourself in a world of hurt, you're going to not only hurt yourself with a terrible emotional and relational and marital and spiritual life, you're going to hurt the other people around you. And that's, you know, you, you don't want to do that, right? It's like, you know, I, I remember once, you know, uh, um, you know, just being a kid in Europe and, you know, all these guys are going to go down to a a house of ill repute. And I said, no, uh, I'm not heading down that way. And uh, everybody says, that's a great opportunity. And I just thought to myself, yeah, great opportunity for hell and a bad life. So I just uh, started trudging home. And, um, you know, as I was going home, I see this guy just stretched out, laid out on the highway, on the sidewalk there, a big, you know, I mean, a real nice briefcase, you know, uh, in his hands, kind of, in, you know, laid out in front of him. And, you know, he was just 
obviously higher than a kite and something awful had happened to him. And I just, I had the real opportunity. I got to put that guy in a cab and get him home, you know, and uh, everybody else was just walking around him. And, you know, as I was kind of leaving, I just thought, yeah, it's the whole definition of an opportunity. That's the whole thing. You know, if in our culture, you know, if we see opportunity as, you know, the chance to go ahead and sin or to do something um, that's contrary to Christ's will, if we even remotely start viewing this as an opportunity, we're going to wind up in the place of darkness because that's the devil's lie. That's the devil's whole idea of opportunity. Whereas when I finished helping that guy, and I didn't have, and I was a college student, I didn't have a lot of money in those days to pay for another uh, rich guy's cab fare, you know, all the way out to some suburb of Germany and Munich. You know, I, I basically, you know, at the time, I, I got, I was going back, walking back to the hostel I, I was staying in. And I thought, you know, wow, i I, I just feel great. I, I feel like I made a difference to the world. And I feel like I made a difference to God and the kingdom of God. And I was just right with life because I was right with God. And, I, you know, God rewards us for those little things. We have like what I call a jolt of spirits. We have a jolt of just being at home with God when we are serving others, even the ones that are really ungrateful. And, you know, there are days when you just think, I can't do this anymore. You know, I, I know some people who've had to deal with very, you know, Alzheimer's uh, uh, spouses that, you know, can be very rough and do all kinds of terrible things. And yet at the same time, there is a path to holiness there. There is a path to service there and goodness there. And they have no idea that their love that they are showing is shining out to a whole bunch of other people that are looking at them. And when they make little statements like, um, you know, I just want him to be happy, you know, at the end of his life. They have no idea how that's hitting the people who are hearing them and that they're making such a huge difference to the world in, in displaying a kind of higher compassion. So, I mean, all of those things um, being said, you know, I, I'd have to say that, you know, uh, we're <laughs> if we just trust God, as you started off with you at the beginning of the show, if we just trust God and we... Um, you know, trust his word and we follow what he says and we serve others with that untwisted kind of love, the God kind of love, the service kind of love, the self-sacrificial kind of love, you know, that wonderful definition of marriage, you know, who do you want to serve uh, for the rest of your life? You know, what a great definition. If you go into marriage thinking that, thinking level three, what I call level three and level four happiness, right? If that's where you're, you're going, you're going to have a lot of satisfaction in your marriage and you're going to have, you know, a lot of spiritual growth that's going to take place and you're going to raise a really wonderful family. Absolutely. So, I mean, uh, Father yeah. Robert Spitz is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Rasinello, we, we have limited time. Where do you want to go? 
I want to talk about Catholic social teaching. Sure. Is, is that a decision of prudential judgment? I would say no. What are your thoughts? Well, the actual principles of Catholic social teaching are actually Catholic doctrine. So when you start looking at the principle, um, you know, of the inherent dignity of every human being or the principle of the common good or the principle of subsidiarity or the principle of solidarity uh, or the, uh, you know, um, the principle of being, um, you know, a, a good uh, democratic participant, etc. If you look at those principles, that's a matter of Catholic doctrine. The principles are. Now, here's where you get into the prudential judgments. Um, what happens is, is you get, for example, um, interpretations of how to apply those principles. And then you can get way outside the domain of doctrine or dogma, right? Instead of being in the domain of doctrine, you're talking about engineering or science or interpretations of uh, climate control or interpretations of how to carry out the common good in a complex economy. And, you know, what you've got going there are a lot of bits and pieces of things that we call science. But economics, remember, that's a tough thing when it gets really, even econometrics can be very deceptive indeed, uh, even though it's very mathematical, it can be exceedingly deceptive. And, and it's very secular. It's, it's just, you know, implementing the laws of supply and demand in a complex way. Or you can get into environmental science and you just say, well, it's science. Well, yes, but it's trying to put together science in about 15 different areas with 15 different applications, which we really don't know the absolute results of. And so all of these things we call prudential judgments when we're talking about the how, not the what of our principles, our Catholic social principles. Those seven principles are really inviolable. But when you start talking about the application, the how are we going to do this and all the economics or the science or environmental science, whatever it is. That needs to be considered in order to apply that, and all the political science too, for that matter. All of these things are really prudential because you're putting together huge amounts of information. That honestly, I know some people say I've got the answer, but you know, so long. You know, I mean, uh, I think you know. Of course, we have to respect you know, basic scientific principles. Of course, we have to respect, you know, the uh, laws of supply and demand and uh, market economy and the fundamental principles of econometric supply and demand economy, et cetera, because otherwise it's like gravity is going to come back to haunt you. But once you start getting into huge complexities, the church calls those prudential judgments. So even if an encyclical should state, um, and here's how you should do X or Y or Z, um, it's only a recommendation. Those things are not being proffered um, doctrinally or dogmatically. Um, they're just being offered as the best prudential solution that certain people who are advising um, the Pope uh, on, you know, what would be a good uh, way to proceed uh, really think at this current time. And we know very well that a lot of uh, so-called economic standards of just wage and, and so forth and, and just um, and, you know, prices 
Well, they have changed over the course of history. Um, and the reason they've changed is because we've been off in our estimates. And uh, let's face it, we thought that the Big Bang occurred 18 billion years ago um, when George Lemaitre, Father George Lemaitre, the, the, uh, the, the uh, priest, uh, astronomer, and astrophysicist who discovered the Big Bang, he thought it was the universe was 18 billion years old. But now we know it's 13.8 billion years old because we have better astronomical observations and better kinds of tests from the Planck satellite, et cetera. So these kinds of things, they change. We call them prudential judgments. And so any Catholic faithful can respectfully disagree with the how of those principles. They just can't disagree with the what of those principles. Now, in the case, let's say, of abortion, right, that is a direct application of the principle of the intrinsic dignity of every human being. So that's not a how you can disagree with. That's why the church calls that an inviolable principle, right? And so, you know, you can show genetically and you can show through the nature of the specifically human zygote, single-celled zygote, you can show that this is a human being, only a human being, is destined to become a full human being. And so when you look at that, you can say, well, every human being has an inviolable intrinsic dignity that is deserving of um, what we call inalienable rights of life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That's on the civic order, or what we would call a life of dignity and love according to the prescripts of Christian charity. Now, if that's the case, then abortion is wholly a violation. So that's a direct result. But most of the social doctrines that we have, or many of them anyway, are not direct results. There's so much in the calculation of a just price, right? And most of the time, Catholic theologians would say the market actually does do a pretty good job in determining the just price and just wage. Um, sometimes the market does a good job, but sometimes also um, the market could, of course, not have, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, at least a, a sense of the, you know, we don't want to drive anybody into poverty, right? So you got to make sure you have a minimum wage um, that's halfway decent and, and so forth and so on. That's part of uh, the idea of just wage. But at the same time, you have to allow the market to do what it does best, which is to determine um, the right wage uh, for the right supply and demand, the right price for the right supply and demand, et cetera, uh, you know, according to the Father Spitzer. Yeah. Father Spitzer, I'm sorry to cut you off because we only have a few minutes yeah. left and we want, I'm, sure. I'm glad you mentioned that. I would recommend to anybody, if you want to get a, a pretty comprehensive um, uh, idea of what the church teaches is in terms of social teaching, I would read Rerum Novarum. I would yep. read Quadragesimo Anno, and I would read uh, Pope St. John Paul II's Centesimus Annus, um, and you'll get a pretty good idea of what yeah. Father Spitzer saw. But again, I would love to have Father Spitzer on just to talk about economics for about sure. five hours. Unfortunately, this is radio, <laughs> Veritas Catholic Radio Network. I just want to pivot to for in the last maybe three or four minutes, Father Spitzer, right. to one final area. Uh, your book is a defense of Catholic moral teachings. When someone yeah. teaches that means what they're doing is they're educating someone. Mm -hmm. Okay, do and yeah. and Father, this is not a gotcha question. This is a, a, yeah. a, we know we're going to get an honest answer out of you yeah. on the level of the church and Catholic higher education, or maybe even secondary education too. Mm -hmm. Do we need to do a better job 
of oh, yeah. not only educating on worldly matters like economics, social teaching, and everything like everything like that, but also on the level of the church's moral teachings. Do we have to do a better job is my question. Yeah, I would say that at least I would hope that some academics would look at the studies. I mean, I've, I've got like 43, 44 pages of bibliography in that book that are just a bunch of studies. And I would hope that some academics would have an interest in those studies and start looking at them and going, gee whiz, I wonder how that should affect my ethics class. Gee whiz, I wonder how that should affect my sociology class. You know, how should this affect my philosophy class, my ethics class, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, I would very much hope um, that that would happen, but not just in specific classes. We have to change the tenor, right, of, of, of uh, academic culture right now. In, in the university, the dominant culture in the universe in the university is basically anti uh, rules, uh, pro autonomy, um, anti restriction to uh, sexuality, right? You know, pro uh, sexual revolution, whatever will enhance uh, human freedom. Um, but you know, the reason I keep <coughs> going back to these fundamental sources about freedom um, is because I really think that, um, you know, we have lost our sense of freedom. We have made freedom into something which is a very superficial, um, you know, I get what I want or I get my strongest emotional desire when I want it. We've turned freedom into something utterly superficial, when in fact, we need to read a whole lot of St. Augustine on human freedom, particularly in the confessions, and, and just take, you know, start all over again, so that we can find our way to the fact that commitment is a good thing. Commitment enhances the best kind of love that we can possibly pursue the life of self-sacrifice and service that leads to the buildup of the culture and the community. And I think the one thing academics need to confront today is simply this. The world is not better off in the last 40 years. If we just look at what's going on, as I said, with the suicides of our young people, depression, anxiety, homicides among the young. It's terrible out there. Every decade sees a 60% increase in depression, anxiety, 52% increase in suicide, 22% increase in homicide among young people. This is terrible. We're Father, we have doing to- a good job. Sorry. Father, I'm sorry. We we have to leave it there. Um, yeah. And of course, that's kind of a little bit of on a sad note. But yeah. but your book is something that you know we all should we should we should all go out there and purchase and read the moral wisdom of the Catholic Church: a defense of her controversial moral teachings. Please buy it from the publisher Ignatius Press. Um, let's support our Catholic publishers. Father Robert Spitzer, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Um, and you you know you're welcome on this show anytime, Father. Thanks, Joe and Joe. It's great to be with you. Thanks, Father, and thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. I forgot to mention, and I should, about Father Spitzer. If you want to see some really, get some really good information on scientism, atheism, um, and all of that Magis Center for Reason and Faith, um, I would recommend that to anyone where you see many of Father Spitzer's presentations on scientism, atheism, and, and the developments of 
of cosmology and all that fun stuff. Um, so thank you again for joining us. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.